Welcome to the St. Edward's Podcast, a church filled with the Holy Spirit. We hope that today's words will draw you closer to Christ Jesus. Our first reading today comes from the great book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Exodus begins with the birth of Moses, the great deliverer of his people. It tells the narratives of the famous scriptures of Moses and the burning bush, about the powerful signs and wonders that Moses did as he declared the will of God to Pharaoh. If you listen carefully, you can probably still hear Charlton Heston say, let my people go. In Exodus 12, we have the sacred story of the Passover where the children of Israel were kept safe because of the blood that was on the doors while the night of dread filled the homes of the Egyptians. This led to the exodus out of Egypt. The people of God crossed the Red Sea on the dry land while the Egyptian army suffered as the water receded back to its original position. Exodus tells us the story of how God provided for the people with bread from heaven, manna, as it is called, and he also provided water from the rock at Horeb. And the Israelites make their way to Mount Sinai, where we read in the 20th chapter of Exodus, the law, the Ten Commandments, and various laws and details about the tabernacle that followed over the next 12 chapters. And while Moses received the law and all the details about the holy place and the priests that served there, the people grew restless and weary. They formed a golden calf and began to worship the statue. So while God and Moses were drawing up plans for a new sanctuary, the Israelites had made some plans of their own. And it's here that our reading takes place that we have this morning, with Moses preparing to go down from Mount Sinai to deliver the law of God. And God says to Moses, go, get down there. Your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have fallen to pieces. In no time at all, they've turned away from the way I commanded them. They made a molten calf and worshipped it. They've sacrificed to it and said, These are the gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God said to Moses, I look at this people. Oh, what a stubborn, hard-headed people. Let me alone now. Give my anger free reign to burst into flames and incinerate them. But I'll make a great nation out of you, Moses. You know, God's righteous anger burned. He told Moses that he was ready to obliterate them. He threatens judgment. And God calls them stiff-necked, a phrase that is used many times in the Old Testament. It's, in fact, it's a, it's a farmer's metaphor as it describes a beast of burden that is too stubborn to wear its master's yoke, too stubborn to, to do what its master says. And so what, what it is saying is that the people of God here were stubborn. They want to do things their way and not God's way. Does that sound familiar? How many times in our world, in our nation, in our communities, do people want to do things their ways instead of God's ways. <laughs> yeah, all the time. <laughs> Even us, the church, the people of God, we may often 
choose to do things our way instead of God's way. Instead of loving God, we often choose our own way of thinking about money, about sexuality, about time, about our, our life goals. Instead of loving each other, instead of serving each other, sacrificing for each other, we find ourselves gossiping about one another, tearing down each other, doing what makes best sense for us and not the best for our neighbor or the generations that come after us. You see, in similar ways, we can be stubborn, stiff-necked, just as these people were in the wilderness. And of course, the Israelites were doing their own thing, contrary to God's commands. And God says, hey, Moses, I'm done. I will start over with you. But Moses, as tempting as it may have been for him to get rid of the people and start over, Moses implored God to have mercy. He interceded for the people. He became the mediator between God and the people of Israel. He talked with God. Simply put, Moses prayed. This is the lesson from our reading. Moses prayed for the people. So how did Moses pray? Well, first... Moses did not try to minimize Israel's sin. He did not offer any excuses. He did not say, well, maybe they didn't know, God, what they were really doing. He did not try to defend his people on the basis of their own merits. He didn't say, well, they're, you know, really way down deep inside. They're good people, God. He did not argue with God about his anger was unfair. On the contrary, Moses assumed that the Israelites were guilty. And God had every right to wipe them out. Moses prayed, Why, God, would you lose your temper with your people? Why, you brought them out of Egypt in a tremendous demonstration of power and strength. Why let the Egyptians say he had it in for them? He brought them, so that, he brought them out so that he could kill them in the mountains, wipe them off the face of the earth. Stop your anger. Think twice about bringing evil against your people. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you, have, you gave your word, telling them, I will give you many children and as many as the stars in the sky, and I'll give this land to your children as their land forever. You see, Moses does not whine and complain to God here. He doesn't beg and give excuses. What he does do is appeal to God's mercy and loving kindness. First, Moses appeals to God's relationship with Israel. Moses calls them God's people, whom God brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. He tells God of God's self-chosen relationship with Israel. He tells God of all that he has already done for them in the past. And then second, Moses appeals to God for the vindication of his own name. Moses suggests, well, what would the Egyptians say? What would they suggest? Is this the God of mercy and love? Moses appeals on the basis of God's public reputation. Save them not just for the people's sake, but for God's own good name. He appeals to God's mercy. And finally, Moses appeals to the great patriarchal promises. He appeals to God's everlasting covenant. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant you made with them and their descendants. This prayer 
is an appeal to God by the consistency of his own nature. It is a declaration of confidence in his revealed will. And our reading ends with God relenting on his threat to judgment. Keep in mind, this last verse is a literary device known as, here, I got a word for you, anthropopathism. I'll ask you about that in coffee hour. That is, it's, it's an analogy, it's a literary device, and it's stating God's activity, describing it in human terms. God repented or relented or changed his mind. This verse is not suggesting that God changed his mind or that he regretted something that he intended to do. It is stating that God carried out his original plans of mercy and love, but not because Moses was able to convince God that he was wrong. God, you got this wrong, you need to do this way. Not because Moses used the right formula of prayer. Mo Moses must have gone way back to the 1662 prayer book and got a really good one. All right. Moses did not change God's plan. He was carrying them out as the mediator. Moses was telling God exactly what God wanted to hear, exactly what God wanted Moses to profess and to proclaim. God does not willy-nilly change what he is doing. He will not someday decide to change his laws. Oh, they're getting tiresome. I want to change things up. He's not going to change his justice or his love or his mercy. Throughout the Bible, the scriptures declare that God does not change. In the book of Numbers, it is written, God is not a human being that he should change his mind. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In St. James' epistle, he wrote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And thank God that he does not change. Most of us would be in a really bad position if he did. Scholar and minister Philip Graham Ryken writes this, our salvation is not made secure by our own obedience, which is bound to fail, but by the unbreakable promise of God. Let me read that again because I just love this quote. Our salvation is not made secure by our own obedience, which is bound to fail, but by the unbreakable promise of God. Which brings us to how this Old Testament reading from Exodus points toward Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Jesus declared that he was the new Moses, the better Moses, the, the new giver of the law. That happened in the most famous sermon of our, excuse me, sermon of our Lord, the Sermon on the Mount, found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus declared himself as the new lawgiver when he quoted Moses saying, you have heard that it is said, but I say to you, Jesus was putting himself in the position of Moses, the new lawgiver. And then we find out that Jesus is the new, the better mediator between God and man. Just as Moses worked as the mediator between the people of God and 
God, Jesus is the better mediator between God and man. The scriptures declare in 1 Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Even our prayer book picks up on this in our Rite One liturgy when it declares after the prayers of the people, grant these our prayers, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. And what does Jesus do as the mediator? He prays. He intercedes. Romans chapter 8 declares Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And he does not plead for us on the basis of our righteousness, our good works. He's not up, he's not up there saying, well, Mark's a good guy. He intercedes for our salvation on the merits of his own saving work on the basis of his grace and mercy found on the cross of Calvary. Our salvation is secure because the mediator we have does not change. Our salvation is secure because our mediator did the saving work. Our salvation is secure because we believe in a God who is full of grace and mercy. And not only do we have Jesus Christ interceding for us, we are called to intercession as well. We pray for those in this world who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And we pray for those who know Jesus yet have fallen into sin. And we are to pray like Moses. We appeal to God's mercy and loving kindness. We appeal to God's actions and his saving work. We appeal to God's desire to vindicate his own name in this world. And we appeal to God on the basis of his covenant and we heard it in our, in our second reading today, his eternal promise to save sinners in Christ Jesus. This is our calling to pray for unbelievers to come to faith. This is the example Moses gave us. And this is what Jesus does for us in the throne room of God. Well, praise be to God, because this is good news. Our salvation is secure in the faithfulness of God. And in light of that, in light of that grace, may we pray that many more would believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this conversation today. We will continue to pray that our teachings are impacting you for the kingdom of God. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can find us on stedwardsepiscopal.com or on Facebook. And of course, we'd love for you to visit us in beautiful Mount Dora. May God's grace fill you as you go in peace.